This morning we're going to continue our study through the book of John, and we're come to John chapter 13. And if you've been coming in the past few months, you'll know that really the first portion of the gospel of John, we have seen over and over and over again that John has come to his own people, to their own feast, and he has basically shown up and said, I'm it. I'm who you've been looking for and who you've been waiting for. I'm the bread of life. I'm the resurrection. Uh, I am the water, the true living water. Over and over, he has said, I am God in the flesh, only to be rejected by his own people. This morning, last week as well, we're at a turning point in the Gospel of John. Uh, This chapter this morning is the turning point because it begins what is known as Jesus' farewell address or farewell discourse. And I said this last week uh, that uh, really, you know, John slows down the tape. uh, And not just really the last week of Jesus' life covers the rest of the book of John. It's really the last day (laughs) covers the rest of the gospel of John. And so for the first time, this is hours before Jesus will die, hours before his trial, he is for the first time with the people that do love him that have received him. He is with his closest friends and he is talking to them over these next few chapters about things that are really near to his heart. He's talking about his death and the confusion and the crisis that will be coming in the next few gut-wrenching days and he's trying to comfort them. And remember, John is in the room on this particular night in John chapter 13. And it's evident with the detail. He slows it down really slow, the story. And it's as if John says, I want you to read this, but not only do I want you to read chapter 13, I want you to feel chapter 13. And so this morning, I want us to feel the emotion of this passage. It's a very sweet time for Jesus and his disciples in my prayer is that it would be a very sweet time for us this morning as well. In this passage, we see the Jesus who in great power raised Lazarus from the dead. That same Jesus in John chapter 13 stoops lower than he's ever been up until this point. He becomes a servant and he gets down on his hands and knees and he washes the filthy feet of his friends. John chapter 13 1 through 17, follow along with me as I read. This is God's holy and inspired word. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During the supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist and he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? 
And Jesus answered him, What I'm doing you do not understand now, but later, but afterward you will understand. And Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, The one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, Not all of you are clean. And when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your teacher and Lord, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. This is God's word. Let me pray and ask him to come and help us through his spirit this morning. Let's pray. Father, as we come to your word, we need a word uh, from the outside this morning. Um, we need your help. We need you to come through your spirit. We desperately need your service in our lives this morning, no matter where we find ourselves. We need to see you this morning radically serving us. Uh, we need you in these next few moments to move us away from ourselves out into the world. Father, this is a big act. It's a big thing. And we ask uh, that you would help us through your spirit. Come and open our ears that we may hear and apply the gospel in the service of Jesus so that this community around us in Birmingham and the world beyond would never be the same. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, this morning, we're going to look at really three questions uh, from John chapter 13. Why is this such a big deal? Secondly, uh, what does Jesus call us to do here? And then lastly... <laughs> How in the world are we to love and serve like this? How is that even possible? So the why, the what, and the how this morning. Let's look at number one. Why is this such a big deal? And to really get into why this is a big deal, we've got to understand the context of what's taking place here. Look at verses 1 through 5 with me. It's the evening of Passover. And so Jesus, and notice it says, His hour had come to depart from the world. All throughout the book of John, we've stated this before, and we're going to see this again. Anytime we see that phrase, when he refers to the hour or his hour, he's talking about the hour of his appointed death. That time has come. It's hours away. And he's gathering with his disciples, and they walk up into this room. And when they walk up, there's no servant there to greet them. That was... Typical back in that day, there was no one when they walked in the door that would wash their feet. Because you see, the washing of feet was an ancient custom back in Christ's day. It was an absolute necessity back then. They wore chacos before chacos were cool and cost a fortune. And they had no modern day sewage. And so think about that. 
They're walking around all day long with open-toed sandals and garbage and all sorts of animal nastiness. And so when you came to a meal, the way they would eat, they would lean on one arm with their feet out beside them at these low-leg tables, and no one wanted, just like you don't, no one wanted stinky feet in and around the food. And no one wanted stinky feet in and around uh, one another's faces. And so the washing of feet was an absolute necessity. But here's the thing. That task always fell on the lowliest servant in the household. And it was almost never a Jewish person. It was almost always a Gentile. In fact, there were laws in certain places that banned. It was against the law for a Jewish slave to actually partake in that task because it was so low. Only a Gentile could do it. And in my study this week, I learned that one historian said that you can look high and low all throughout the historical uh, Jewish literature and Greco-Roman literature, and you will not find one. No, not one instance of a superior stooping low in washing the feet of someone who was below them, except here. One place, and it's here in John chapter 13. And if you look at verse 2, it tells us that he did not do this before the meal, but it was during the meal. And that was very unusual. The washing of feet was always before the meal. And so what was Jesus doing here by doing it during the meal? Well, he was drawing attention to this. As if Jesus were about to say, what I'm about to do for you is so significant that I don't want you to forget it. And I'm sure if you think about being in that room that night and witnessing this, They never forgot this the rest of their life. Jesus pushes back from the table. And he takes off his outer garments and strips down to a loincloth. And goes over and he grabs the water, the basin and the towel. And he wraps it around him and begins to one by one. Scuffle across the floor and wash the feet of his disciples. He begins to love them to the end. On this particular night, Jesus takes the form of the lowliest servant in the room and loves them to the end. And not only does he do it, he does it by performing a very menial task. And and so there's lots of probably applications to this, but let's think about an application and what this might teach us. And I think one thing we are taught here is that Jesus not only dignifies but he elevates menial tasks for us. And I don't know about you, but I think we need to hear that. I know I need to hear that, because here's what we often think. We often think that the dignity and the glory is found in the big stuff, don't we? The things that we can do in ways that we can serve that is going to get us the most attention and get us noticed by the biggest number of people. Why? Because we want to be kings. We don't want to be servants. And Jesus comes here and he elevates and puts value on the small stuff. He elevates those very menial tasks that never get noticed by another person. Such as listening to a friend over a cup of coffee rather than inserting your opinion. 
He elevates menial things like getting excited for your friend and being genuinely happy, happy for them when something great happens in their life. He elevates things like changing the diapers in the nursery. Forgiving someone. Refusing to hold a grudge. Taking care of sick kids in the middle of the night. He elevates loads and loads of laundry and cups of cold water and meals for people. Things that no one will ever see. Jesus comes in this passage and says, those things have great dignity in my kingdom. Those things have great value. One other thing that I think we've got to talk about is how in the world does Jesus do this? Think about it. He's hours from getting ready to die. He knows this. If you were a day or hours from living or from dying, what would you do? You know what I'm thinking about in that moment? Thinking about me. I'm thinking about getting my house in order and doing all the things I need to do and saying goodbye that I, to the people that I need to say goodbye to. That's what happens. When we're in crisis, we focus on ourselves. Jesus is in crisis, and he's focusing on other people. How does he do it? Look at verses 1 and 3. Jesus knew something. What did he know? He knew who he was. He knew his identity and he knew where he was going. He knew his destiny. And it was that knowledge that freed him to forget about himself and love and serve the people around him. He knew that he was from the Father and he was going back to the Father. And I want to suggest that's what we've got to have as well if we're ever going to love and serve the way Jesus has called us to. We've got to know who we are and who Jesus says we are because that's the key. That's the freedom of self-forgetfulness comes when we realize our gospel identity. Because if we forget our identity in Jesus, then we, I know I do, we become bundles of self-concern, only worried about ourselves. That's the first point. Why, is that such a, why was it such a big deal what Jesus was doing? Secondly, the what. What does Jesus call us to do? If that wasn't terrifying enough, <laughs> what they just got experienced, uh, what Jesus says in verses 13 through 17 is, man, they had to have been like, what in the world does this mean for us? And if you look at those verses, Jesus then calls us to do it. Go wash one another's feet. And I don't know about you, but I find that very challenging because think about this. Jesus is saying here very clearly that people will know whether or not you belong to him, not by how much theology you know. Not by being the Bible answer man in your small group. He's saying people will not know whether you belong to me by being the best small group leader in the history of the church. (laughs) Or having perfect church attendance. No, Jesus says people will know whether or not you belong to me by the way you love and serve other people. More specifically, look down at verse 35. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love, not the people out there. Do we need to love the people out there? Absolutely, we need to love the people out there. But that's not what he says. By the way you love one another. 
He's saying, you want to get the world's attention? Start loving one another in a way that's so radical that people cannot help but stop and notice what is happening. A couple of observations here that I think are very easy for us to miss. Notice who Jesus calls us to love. Not just the people who deserve it, but he calls us to love people who don't deserve it. Think about who's in the room on this particular night. Judas. He knows Judas is about to leave this room and go sell him out for pennies. Then he comes to who? Peter. And Peter says, no, I'm with you, Lord, always. I will never deny you. We know what happens. And then maybe we're thinking, okay, well, the other ten, surely they deserved it. Well, unfortunately, um, they left Jesus when Jesus needed them the most. They headed for the hills. My point, no one in the room on this night deserved it. And the Lord Jesus gets down on his hands and knees and serves and washes the feet of every single one of them. Secondly, we notice it's easy to miss. But notice Jesus doesn't leave the upper room and his friends and get on a boat and go halfway around the known world at the time and go love and serve the people over there. No, Jesus starts by loving and serving the people that are sitting right across the table from him. So what does that mean for us this morning? Well, there's lots of thousands of applications we could make from this, but let's apply it to our community here. If you hang around our church long enough, you'll hear us talk about three things. Worship, community, mission. Exalt, exhibit, extend. And when we think about community, uh, we long to make this room smaller. And what I mean by that is we, if you want to be known and loved, we've got to make this room smaller. And the avenues for creating that kind of community start in our KCs, which are Sunday morning, and they start in our small groups and grace groups that meet all throughout the week. Those are the places where we want you to plug in and start to find community. And if you do that, just like anywhere, there will, there will, there will come a point where you will hit a point where you find that you've got people in the group that you naturally click, click with, and you've got people in the group that you naturally don't. And what ends up happening at that moment, and what eventually happens, is it's like, I've got my group here, and there's the group over there, and I'm good. And some of that is natural, of course, that you naturally are drawn to uh, people that you naturally click with. But what Jesus is talking about, the kind of love that Jesus is talking about, is loving the people and serving the people that you naturally don't click with. You see, Jesus, in loving the way he's called us to love, means that we find the person who's maxed out their compassion quota. You have those people in your life? Jesus says, go love and serve them. To love the way, to love the way Jesus is calling us to love here means that students, that you find the student 
in your class that's been nothing but a jerk to you. You go love and serve them. Why? Because Jesus loved you and me when we were nothing but a jerk to him. You see, it also shows us here in this passage that being radical doesn't always involve getting on a plane and going halfway around the world and doing missions. Are we about missions? Absolutely. And if your takeaway is that I'm not, then you've totally missed it. I'm all about missions. But Jesus says, you want to be radical? Start loving the people in your own home. Start loving the people right across the table from you. Why is that so radical? Think about it. It's easy to get on a plane and go love someone over there. Why? Because we don't know them. It's so much harder to love people that have hurt you. And people to whom you have hurt. And Jesus calls us to do that. And oftentimes we get consumed and we start thinking, man, I wish my relationships were different. Even I wish I wasn't in the marriage I'm in. Or I wish I wasn't sitting next to the cubicle to these people or to that person. And Jesus says, I have placed them in your life. Now go love and serve them. That's radical. See, my prayer for my own life and for our church is that we would start to love people in such a way that when we love them, they begin to understand how deep Jesus' love is for them and what Jesus has done for them. And so what are the things in your life right now that you are so intent on that are keeping you from loving and serving the people right in front of you? Lastly, how? If you're anything like me at this point, and I hope you are, you're saying, there's no way I love people this way. Well, I don't either. You're in good company. And so then the question becomes, how in the world do we love the way Jesus has called us to love? Well, the power comes from verses 6 through 11. Look at those verses with me. That's the heart of the passage. That's the meaning of the passage here. And Jesus is washing the disciples' feet. And he comes to Peter. And Peter, you can just see him pulling back his legs and saying, No, no, Jesus, stop. Are you going to wash my feet? Perhaps Peter is thinking, if my master serves me in this way, it violates everything that I wanted him to be. See, they thought Jesus was going to set up shop and rule and reign, and they were going to be sitting right next to him, that they were going to conquer the Roman Empire. And Jesus comes and starts washing their feet. And perhaps it was an embarrassment to Peter. Or maybe he thought it was embarrassing that Jesus would be at his feet washing him and he didn't want that for himself and he didn't want that for Jesus or perhaps he knew that if Jesus were at his feet and he let Jesus wash him then that meant he must go and serve people in the same way and Jesus looks at him and says you don't realize what I'm doing but later you will understand and Peter says no and then Jesus says this statement here's what I want to think about if I don't wash you And you can have no part in me. 
What in the world is Jesus talking about there? Jesus says that because the foot washing, and here it is, foreshadowed the foot of the cross. The foot washing foreshadowed the foot of the cross. Look at verse 7. Later, Peter, later you will understand. It's not making sense now, but later it will click. Because you see here, they saw their master laying aside his outer garments and serving selflessly. Look at verse 4. And you know what's interesting? It's the same word there that John uses in John chapter 10 when he's talking about the good shepherd. And he says the good shepherd won't lay aside his outer garments. What will he lay aside? His life. Here in John chapter 13, he is stooping low to serve as he's scooting along the floor in a loincloth. Well, they would see him in a few days lower than he is in this moment. And he would be in a loincloth, but at this point, he would then be hanging from a cross. Now they see him presenting with a bowl of water. And in a few days, the disciples would see him presenting with a bowl of his own blood. Here, he's at the Passover dinner presenting himself. In a few days, he will hang from a cross and become the Passover lamb. You see, that's what this passage is about. It's that very selfless service that unites us to Jesus. It united them and it unites us this morning. Because the reality is that the real cleansing comes not from the foot washing, but to that to which the foot washing pointed, the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And that is a point that we cannot miss. Jesus is saying here, if you will reject my service, it is impossible for you to have life with me. That's what he's saying to Peter. You can have no part of me if I don't do this. Jesus is saying this, in other words, if I can't forgive you of your sin, then you can't have my presence. Then you can't have me. And I want to suggest this morning that Peter's problem is our problem, isn't it? You see, we are a people that, boy, we can... We can tell you all about grace in our heads and give you the proper definitions, but we don't do a very good job receiving grace. We have a hard time receiving grace, don't we? And you see, Christianity is much more than just knowing about grace. In the Christian life, you have to receive grace. And that is so much harder than we think. I had a foot washing service when I was in seminary with my classmates. And what do you think was the hardest part of that service? It was not being the person that was washing the feet. It was letting someone wash yours. You see, it's a lot harder for us to receive grace. Because you see, in order for us to receive Jesus' service, we have to admit that we've got stinky feet. We've got to admit that we need something, and that's the hardest thing in the world for us to do. Herman Ritterboss, who is a writer and has written on John, he says this, I read this this week, it is not sin that makes you lost, it is the repudiation of grace. It is not sin that makes you lost, it's the repudiation of grace. And so then the question, and I'll end here, is how do you know If grace has gone from a concept in your head and it's made its way down into your bones and you actually understand it. 
Well, there's probably lots of things, but two things quickly. People who understand grace are growing in kindness and mercy and forgiveness. In other words, you know you're growing in grace if you are extending it to others. It's mercy and grace and forgiveness inside of you. When someone were to squeeze you, what comes out of you? Is it judgment and criticism and bitterness? Or is it forgiveness and mercy and grace? Because someone who has received and really understood grace understands uh, how gracious God has been with them. And that that allows them to go and be gracious to the people around them. You see, John chapter, uh, Luke chapter 7 says, the one who has been forgiven little, what? Loves a little. The one who has forgiven much, loves much. And so if you are not a loving person this morning, the Bible says the roots of that are that you think you're a good person. Because you see, someone who believes that they need to be washed... They see Jesus daily at their feet because they know they need the Lord Jesus to clean them. And his love starts to fill their heart and they start to extend it to the world around them. But also, not only do we are growing in kindness and mercy and forgiveness, but lastly, your self-hatred and your self-loathing starts to diminish in your life. Someone who really, grace has gotten into their bones. They stop beating themselves up and actually are able to forgive themselves. And some of you this morning can't get rid of your shame. You cannot get rid of your guilt. And the reason why is because you won't let Jesus wash you. You won't let Jesus cleanse you. Like Peter, you protest and you pull back your legs and say, Jesus, I got this. And instead, you start to wash away your own shame and your own guilt. And normally what happens when we try to wash away our own shame and guilt, we do it by trying to get busier. Or we think there's got to be a technique, or there's got to be a method or a program that will help me. Or i got to read my Bible more. And what makes John 13 so beautiful and so wonderful is that what we really need is to see Jesus at our feet. Because when we see Jesus at our feet, Jesus says this, Stop. Let me wash you. Let me love you. I've got this. You can quit trying. And when we receive the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's the best news in the world because for the first time we have freedom. You can have freedom and you can stop trying to be good enough and stop trying to cleanse yourself and you can say, Jesus, wash me. Thank goodness that you were good enough for me. You see, will you stop this morning? Will you quit trying so hard to be good enough and start trusting that Jesus is good enough for you? That Jesus is enough for you. See, the only power in the world, the only power in the world, nothing else will do this. 
The only power strong enough to propel you out into the world to love and serve the people that are in your home and in your workplace and schools is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The only way that's going to happen in any of our lives if we see Jesus daily at our feet, loving and serving and washing us. Will you let Jesus wash your feet this morning? And I sure hope so, because that is the way to love one another and to love the world the way Jesus has called us to. Let's pray. Father, you, we love because you first loved us. We ask this morning that you would forgive us of our prideful wanderings. Father, forgive us for our pride that denies your service in our lives. And would you come and empower us to be servants to the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen.